My name is the Reverend Sean Amos, and this is The Cause of It All. John Paul Hammond is a blues singer. He's been a blues singer for over 50 years. His middle name, Paul, is taken from Paul Robeson, the great singer and civil rights activist of the early 20th century, or the mid-20th century, who was a friend and colleague of John's father, John Hammond Sr. John Hammond Sr. was an executive at Columbia Records, discovered Billie Holiday, discovered Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen. He was a civil rights champion in his own right. And it's because of his father that John was introduced to an amazing scene of blues musicians, second-generation blues musicians. He went to Carnegie Hall and watched Booker White and all the great Southern blues uh, singers perform when they came up for the first time in a concert that was organized by his father. He got a front-row seat to the civil rights movement uh, and got a front-row seat at understanding uh, the disparities between um, how black musicians lived and white musicians lived, and he dove headfirst into it. He decided that it was his calling, and he wanted to become a blues singer. And in doing so, he threw himself uh, as a white man into a black world and risked the consequences, uh, which thankfully were were very few. He was widely accepted and has been widely accepted uh, by that community, and uh, deservedly so. This is a great conversation with him. I want to say at the outset that I screwed up and the first part of this conversation was lost due to technical reasons. Uh, And it's where John gives us a bit of his background that I just gave you. Uh, So we drop into the middle of the conversation, which puts him uh, in college in Ohio in the very early 1960s. That's where we pick up the conversation here. We also recorded it by phone. John is a man of little technology. So we talked on an old school telephone line and recorded it so uh, the audio quality reflects that. So this is uh, the same digital scene right now. <laughs> but the conversation is beautiful. I'm really happy to be wrapping up the series, uh, this first volume, uh, with a conversation with John Paul Hammond. So you're saying you're playing these parties and I, and, and, and up in, in Ohio and, yes. and, and, and I'm wondering you're, you're a white guy playing, you know, black blue songs. What, what was, was there, it's, you know, what was, what was, what were, what was the reaction? I mean, were you playing for other white kids and, and, and was there sort of a, was, was the music for you sort of separate from, because I imagine, I mean, this is like, you know, segregation is going on top of the civil rights. Right. It was, it was, this was 1960, you know, this was when it was still apartheid America. It was really fucked up. Um, But the the reality for me was that I didn't care. This was the music that I loved that I thought was more important than anything else. Um, And there was a folk music revival that was happening. And, uh, there were a lot of solo artists out there playing, you know, whatever they felt like, you know, and there was a uh, a new awareness of of uh, community and whatever. I I was, you know, very happy to be doing what I did and what I loved to do and how important I thought it was. Um, but more than that, it was 
just in me to do it. Yeah. And I didn't care what anyone said or thought. Um, when I was 19, uh, I started playing professionally. I went to as far away from home as I could get. I wound up in Los Angeles. My own hometown. Began, began playing in clubs. Um, you know, I, I just knew this is what I wanted to do for my life. Uh, at an early age, I, you know, when you have that passion, you got it, no matter. What. Yeah, for sure. What was your What was your father's reaction? Did you, oh, he said, he said, this is a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was uh, not not happy. He said, you know, this is a rough way to make a living, and blah blah blah. And uh, I just couldn't hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I. You know, I said, this is what I want to do, and this is what yeah. I'm going to do. And uh, eventually, I w you know, he came around. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was really fortunate to, you know, to have the, the nerve to just, you know, make it happen. Uh, I played in all these clubs, and uh, when I began, you know, auditioning in these little coffee houses and nightclubs, uh, the owners would, you know, inevitably come up to me and say, that's not folk music. Uh, and I would oh, say, wow. oh, yes, it is. It's the <laughs> real folk music. And, uh, the real folk music. And um, so I, I just kept at it. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I came back to New York uh, in the fall of 1962. Uh I had just turned 20, and uh, I auditioned at uh, a V Club in New York. This is uh, Gertie's Folk City. Oh, yeah. And this is where know. John Lee Hooker played and Roosevelt Sykes and uh, uh, Jesse Lone Cat Fuller and all of these, you know, Lightning Hopkins played there. It was the club in New York if, if you were into blues or into, you know, real roots music. And so I auditioned there and I got the gig. Um, nice. I was on the show with uh, Phil Oakes, who is a very political, dynamic uh, folk singer and uh, uh, just an intense, really terrific player. And so yeah, we, we sh shared the bill for a week and we were held over for a week. And we both got signed up to Vanguard Records, which was a big deal. That was the blues and label, I, blues and jazz label. Yeah, I mean, they, it was intense. Um, so I just turned 20. Uh, I got this rec recording deal, and I went to the, the Brooklyn Masonic Temple where they r recorded everybody. And I made my first album um, in December of 62. I'd been playing for less than a year professionally, and I, I was recording already. It, was, it all happened very, very fast for me. There you go, Dad. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I, uh, one gig led to another, to another, and uh, uh, I got invited in 1963 to play at the, the Newport Folk Festival. And was that, that the was year? Was that was that the so that's famously where where Bob Dylan went electric. No, this is before. This is way, way before. Yeah. I, I I was 
very, very close and friends with Bob Dylan, and he and I, he was a blues fanatic too. I mean, he really. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, I turned him on to a lot of blues music that he wasn't aware of, and um, artists that, uh, you know, that I admired, and guys my age who who were playing. You know, there was a, a guy in Chicago. I, I played gigs in Chicago, and I met young guys my age that, that were playing blues, like Michael Bloomfield. Mm -hmm. And I introduced him to Bob Dylan, and and uh, so anyway, I I, I had uh, this this intense uh, need to. Uh, to play and perform and travel. Uh, this was my life. This is what I wanted. This it's, is the idea of being an itinerant blues singer. Yeah. <laughs> traveling over the country. It's, it's interesting. It, it, you know, it's like the musical worlds always integrate you know, more quickly than you know, the, the political world. Music transcends language. It transcends a lot of things. It's, it's a... a um, a more direct communication when you hear something that that chimes inside you, you know that that you know it. it all of a sudden, it's the music and not anything else. <laughs> For me, that's the way it was, and that's you know I didn't care. You know, a lot of uh, critics and stuff, you know, laid all, all this stuff on me. Oh, how can you be playing a black man's music and and I said, "Listen, it's music. It's it's what it's what's important." Um, Did you get that from black artists at all? I mean, were you, were you no, accepted by? I, no, I didn't. And in fact, I got so much encouragement from black artists that, you know, I mean, here's an example. In in uh, November of '62, I was uh, playing, uh, at a club in Los Angeles called, uh, the Ash Grove. Oh, fair. And I was opening for the Staples singers. And this was <sighs> when they were, uh, it was just pops playing guitar and Mavis Purvis and Cleotha. There was no drums. There was no bass. It was pop. Oh, God. It was the most intense, Beautiful stuff I had ever heard. Anyway, I opened the show and uh, uh, came backstage and uh, Pops Staples pulled me aside and he said, Son, I don't know how in the world you ever learned to play like that, but whatever you do, don't stop. Mm. And it made me feel like the size of the room. You know, it just huh. filled me with... And here was somebody who I admired more than I could say, you know. And His playing was amazing. His guitar playing it was, so. it, I know, he was incredible. God. And what a guy. And, you know, I, you know, I met Aretha when she came to New York and my dad, you know, uh, recorded her. Uh, Mavis Staples was just the most wonderful, incredible singer that I'd ever heard. It, you know, it was just like... Is this my life? I had to pinch myself, you know? I mean, it was so intense. Uh, did, did it add an extra, I mean, I don't want to say burden, but I just did say it, but I mean, it's like, it's one thing to play music 
of your heroes. Like I cover, you know, I have an album coming out and I'm covering, you know, Muddy Waters and Little Walter and, and all of my heroes. Um, and so it's one thing to play music from your heroes. It's another thing when, like, you you you, you know these people. I mean, not. Yeah, I was on some, shows with Howling Wolf. Uh, got to know Wolf and and Muddy. I was on so many shows with with uh, artists who I, you know. Idolized, uh, you know. I was on shows. I toured with uh, Buddy Guy and Junior Wells when they were uh, a duo. Junior's I, my favorite. I toured with uh, Johnny Shines and Robert Lockwood when they were a duo. So what's going on in your head? I mean, what, what's what's happening? I mean, are, are you? Are, do you find it? Is is there is it added pressure at a certain, or, or, is, or is it or is it freeing? Oh, it's very intense. <laughs> it's very intense, but. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I, I didn't, I didn't feel intimidated. I felt inspired, you know, being on a show with, because I love to play. I mean, I didn't like it, and I, I wasn't fooling around. I, this is my, my passion and my life, and so, yeah. I just went for it. And, uh, I mean, at, in the mid '60s, when Sun House was rediscovered, and uh, John Hurt and uh, the guys who originated the, the the genre, you know, I was on all these blues shows with with the guys that that made that created it basically, and I was on shows with them with Bucka White and with uh, Sunhouse and you know I. And you're the only white guy. So I saw them and saw them do it, and I knew it was possible to do it. You know, I mean, and you were the only white guy in the room, I would imagine. Yeah, that's there. right. There was a lot of, a lot of, uh, just one-on-one -on -one reality that that flipped me out. That just strengthened me more than I can say. And uh, I went on to make a lot of records. Uh, uh, had you know a band on the road for from 1967 to uh, 1972. Um, I, I had a, a recording session for Lieber and Stoller in 1965, and uh, they 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 had a band together. I mean, a house band that uh, recorded behind. The coasters and the drifters and all these guys, you know, and uh, the dr drummer was a guy named Charles Otis, who who was from New Orleans, who had moved up to New York to to be their studio drummer, and and he he he, he was on the gig. I brought in uh, Robbie Robertson and uh, Bill Wyman to to. To be in the band as well, and uh, anyway, uh, Charles Otis was just the most incredible drummer, uh, and one of the really nice guys. And so, when I thought thought to actually put a band together, because uh, I was basically a solo artist, but you know, I just knew I I had to do it. Yeah, and I asked Charles if he would you know, go on the road with me and he said yes and it just blew my mind. But so we put this little trio together and um 
and these were black guys uh, touring with me. Uh, what year is this? Everywhere. This is uh, 1967. Oh, man. So we're just barely over the sort of... Yeah, and uh, so there are a lot of gigs that we had where we'd go to uh, uh, towns and try to get a, a motel room, and, you know, so we, we have no rooms, and... And, uh, you know, you knew that they had rooms. And uh, yeah. and Charles would say, listen, man, I know all about this shit. And uh, and uh, I know these hotels. And so, you know, Charles would, would find the hotels where we could stay. And, uh, and um, it was, you know, an eye-opening ex- experience for me. But at the same time, there it was, you know, and... Uh, yeah. So how do you and reconcile that? So you're on the road, and then and then like you know, then you get off the road, and you are a, a white man, and, and and you have certain you know privilege and access you know because of that. Was it was there a was it a bit of a mind fuck <laughs> when you started like yeah? It, it was well, it, it it made me so intensely aware of you know the the reality in uh, in the 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 U.S. of you know the, the the just blatant racism that that you know plagued this country and but this was a generation that changed all that and I was was part of it and uh, I was very happy to be a part of it and uh, so it's amazing to my, my 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 career started uh, with a bang and continued you know I was not going to be deterred despite you know all the critics that you know i i like to say i've outlived a lot of my critics <laughs> and uh, don and, was yeah. told me i i i, I worked with don was the producer yeah. and he, so he said you, you just have to be the last one standing <laughs> just be the last guy standing everyone else everyone fades away at some point yeah well here i am i can reflect on a lot of stuff that you know, I'll be 79 this year. Yikes! Oh man, uh, who knew? It, yeah, <laughs> you, you also, and so how, how do you how do you view the blues? It's like, like I, you know, we do blues festivals and we yeah, play blues gigs, and, and and we always lament a lot that you know there's more white faces in the audience than you know black faces, and and that and that for some reason for some reason you know the music is is um you know the, the people who, who who originated the music don't necessarily you know participate in it as much uh, well you don't like, get to hear it you know i mean the, the, the you don't hear it on the radio there there was a time when when you could hear blues on the radio uh even on stations that that you know that played rock and roll there would every now and then there'd be jimmy reed holy cow or uh you know Artists that that uh, I don't mean BB King, uh, Robert Cray. I mean, all of a sudden there would be blues, and yeah. and nowadays you don't hear any blues on the radio except if it's a blues show in itself. Which I mean, thank God for WBGO in Newark yeah. that has. Yes, that, there's some great stations out there still. Yeah, sure. but the so, it's on the fringes for sure. I hear. Yeah, I mean, so so it's not so easy to. It's, it's something that you have to find and discover for yourself, and then if it if it rings true to you, then then, then it's real. But there's always going to be blues, and 
blues has always been the foundation of, of you know, American music, I think, and um, it's what led to jazz, it's what led to, you know, rock and roll. I mean, that's the foundation that will always be there. Yeah, I was speaking um, with Zakia Hooker yesterday, and, uh, and she was saying, we're, she was saying you know, just when you think it's, you know, just, you know, petered out, you know, something brings it right back in again. You know, it, that's right. Everyone counts it out, and then, it, you know, just as soon as it's uh, counted out, something uh, breathes, you know, fresh life into it again. Yeah, uh, and it seems to always be, you know, sort of uh, has a cyclical you know, aspect to it. The music. Yes, I agree. I mean, you know, I was on shows with John Lee when, when, uh, you know, going way back, 1963 was my f f first show with uh, John Lee. I, I was uh, playing in Toronto, and uh, I was going to be on the show with John Lee Hooker. Ooh, and I. Imagined him to be about seven feet tall, and I eat three chickens at a meal. You know that he had that voice. You know it was just like unbelievable. And so yeah. I'm sitting there, and uh, he 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 was arriving from Detroit, and uh, so I'm waiting around in the club, and this little guy w walks in with a guitar case, and I'm expecting to see you know uh, somebody else, and. Uh, pulls out the guitar and, and uh, doing this sound check, and I realized that's John Lee Hooker. Holy <laughs> cow. And he was incredible. And he had an old, like, Stella guitar, a K guitar. Oh, Stella, wow. And uh, acoustic, you know, and he just wailed, and it blew my mind. He was yeah, I, was saying, I, I love his acoustic stuff. Everyone talks, when you, when you talk about him, people talk about him, you know, most folks, uh, you know, align him with his electric stuff and the electric yeah. energy. But I love his acoustic stuff. To me, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I got to see it, be with him and hang out. Um, I mean, I, I knew John Lee from, from, from that time on. I, I got to record with him. He got to record with me. We, we had some great, uh, Interplay. Uh, I, I'm, I've been very fortunate in my you have career it. to, to, to you're, you're, and to hang out with and record with and tour with artists that you know are just phenomenal. And you embody it. I mean, I, I guess that's what I, what I find so amazing about you is that you know they're. they're I mean, look, they're, they're frankly. You know, there's there's a you know, lots of sort of you know white musicians who have sort of ventured into black musical territory, um, and and been successful at it. But you never get the sense, not, not never, but you rarely get the sense that they uh, have really sort of um, you know, embodied it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be like an interloper, you know, <laughs> and it's another thing to sort of like transcend, you know, all of it. Yeah, and and just just hearing you sing, I mean, it's like you you it's just you. You're singing and you're playing, and you just like there's there's the the color lines just get blown away. You know, it, it's sort of colorless. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's the music itself as opposed to you know any other aspect. It's 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 what what rings true. Yeah, and, and you and you just yeah, you live it. I I see why. Um, and I, I think there's a certain amount of um. It's kind of bravery. I feel you know, to to be to drift into that world and to sort of 
you know, to you know, be damned with you know the family name and be damned with the father's wishes and be damned with racial expectations and be damned with you know segregation and be damned with all of it and just go out there and do it. It's like wow, man, that that's that's some that's some ballsy stuff. Um, yeah, I I just uh, I'm I'm in as much as I'm in awe of your of your talent and in your music. I, I just um, you know I'm in awe of your of your uh, if you're just, uh, bravery. Uh, well, fearlessness has a lot to do with it. I, I yeah. was not afraid to do what I wanted to do, and I was very fortunate that, uh, you know, I was in the right place at the right time so many times. Yeah. Did, did your dad ever see you play? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he became, you know, an advocate for me after a while. Cool. That's great. <laughs> he saw I wasn't going to starve. <laughs> it's amazing how, like, you know, at the end of the day, how they manage to, you know, display it. You know, your parents just wanted to be a, be safe, you know, and, and taken care of. Yeah. This is great. Thank you, John. I'm so You're grateful so for, for, for your time and the stories. And well, um, it's a it's a pleasure. I hope we get to hang out a little. Me too, man. When this thing all finally lifts, uh, I look forward to being in a room with you and just uh, and, you know, giving you a hug. Great, man. <laughs> right. Well, have a fantastic day. And uh, boy, it's so beautiful outside today. Where are you? You're in Jersey, right? Yeah, in Jersey City. Nice. Well, enjoy the sun and stay safe. Love and uh, lots of love to you, man. Thanks. Have a good one, man. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you, John Hammond. Thanks to all of you for listening to this series. Uh, this concludes our first volume of The Cause of It All. Hope you've enjoyed these conversations. I hope to have more of them. We plan to have more of them. Uh, in the meantime, please take a listen to The Cause of It All, the album, uh, songs from Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf and Little Walter and Willie Dixon. And it is a opportunity to get in touch with the ancestors. You guys stay safe. Keep the faith. Put together.